into the hyper time the hyper time to podcast i am your host joshua miller gang an episode off the ground that after life got in the way numerous times i wasn't sure if we were going to get recorded in time but here we are and to help me do this is my co-host alan muir alan how are you i'm good 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 i know i am tired so i'm hoping i can get this done somewhat coherently um i know you have to you have another podcast to prep for here in like 12 hours, so hopefully we can knock this all out pretty quick. And so, is there anything you want to get to before we kind of dive into Zero Hour? Yeah, the interview that you did with uh, Dan Jurgens, writer mm-hmm. and artist of this story. For a long time, I really, hate, really hated it, but after listening to his why he did like example my my biggest gripe is what what he did to the JSA yeah the JSA were done pretty dirty in this event <laughs> but his explanation of like you have multiple eras of characters who have been created since the characters that were contemporary of Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman mhm it was actually it actually was a brilliant move and had me thinking a lot of of uh 5G Oh, yeah. There's a lot of similarities that I I wanted to ask about, but I'm like, no, I don't know if that's in bad taste, considering DC kind of shelved all that. So, though he kind of touches on that with his Generations conclusion. I I have not read it yet. Yeah, he kind of does something there at the end that, I'm I'm not going to spoil it, but he does kind of create something that sort of, explains away some of the problems that would keep coming up. I read uh, the first issue of Generations, uh, Generation Shattered. Mm-hmm. And I made the mistake of actually of skipping. I accidentally skipped Forged and read Infinite Frontier. Oh, mm-hmm. issue zero. And I and I just felt like I, I'm missing something. So, <laughs> yeah, I would suggest um, if you're curious to see the way they're kind of handling it currently, I would definitely read Generations. But yeah, I think he was kind of given in a tough task to try and fix the timeline <laughs> back in the 90s because it was the JSA are like the perfect example of some of the problems that were coming up back then. So you just said mainly the JSA issue. Thing was the problem that you were having liking the series that and the look the look of comics back in the 90s see i think part of it is that since i grew up with it i didn't really mind i mean some of the character designs are definitely a little over the top <laughs> you know very 90s guy gardner in particular i, I hated that arm yes he had yeah <laughs> but yeah, Zero Hour is like the first real event that I remember re, uh, not even reading because the store I was getting comics at didn't carry the event book. So I only could read like the tie ins and stuff. 
but I thought it was really cool bringing in like all these different alternate timelines. You know, I, I showed you the Man of Steel issue with like all the different variations of Batman coming in and all that. I remember reading that and thinking, like, God, this is so cool. Like getting to see all these different characters that don't typically exist here. And that was probably one of my favorite things about Zero Hour in general was just having like all these characters that shouldn't exist, but did exist like in previous years and all that showing up. It I thought it was really cool. So let's get into kind of how everything started. Um, before we do, I do want to recommend going back and listening to that interview with Dan Jurgens. Um, it was Posted the first week of March. A lot of what he discussed there, I will probably end up running through here as well. I had all my show notes done like a month prior to interviewing Dan. So some of what we talk here is going to be uh, kind of repeating some of the stuff he touched on too. So, so for example, with Zero Hour, um, the origin kind of started after Crisis on Infinite Earths sort of started breaking apart a little bit. Um, so Crisis set out to streamline the continuity of DC Comics in 1985, but less than 10 years later, we would start noticing problems with specifically aging of certain characters. For instance, characters like Hal Jordan and Oliver Queen were starting to show their age either through birthdays being recognized or certain physical characteristics definitely coming about that yeah, would show um, some aging. And Dan Jurgens mentioned that in the interview, I believe, at least Oliver, mm -hmm. them acknowledging him being in his 40s. Yeah, which, I mean, I guess looking back at it, you never really hear too many heroes getting, like, birthdays in comics. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why. It's just you don't really want to tie too much of an age I mean, to it. And then <laughs> with the uh, Hellblazer books... John A. John Constantine aged in real time. It's mm -hmm. so like the thirty, the thirty plus years that book was running, or I'm not sure if it was thirty, but the, I mean, the, the, I mean, the book lasted like three hundred, three over, th over three hundred issues. Mm -hmm. But he aged to be in his fifties. That's kind of a cool way to go about it. Obviously, the same can't really work with some of these more major heroes, but. You know, there's always a crisis that ends up reverting things back. And so, yeah, outside of like Hal and Oliver, another thing that was typically the problem was, as we mentioned, the Justice Society. And it was because these were heroes who existed in World War II and were still around. And they were typically drawn like they were still in maybe their 50s. But the world was taking place pretty currently. It was still, you know, the 90s in the books themselves. And so you have these heroes who existed back in the thirties and they're only like 50 years old, 80 years later. So not even 80, I guess, technically if I did my math right, it'd be 60 years later, but whatever, clearly there's a problem there when it comes to how certain characters were aging. And so Dan took it upon himself to try and fix this. And this was something that was coming up in the offices as well. And there was, certain stories he was trying to tell and one in particular came during his run on, I think it was either Superman or justice league when he was writing those. And he wanted to tell a story involving Hawkman that would flash back to a scene from Superman 18, 
where Hawkman had taken Superman to the remnants of the destroyed Krypton. But when he started bringing that scene up, the Hawkman editor denied them using that because according to the Hawkman editor, they had never met. So within, what is it, like 1986 to essentially 1993, they're already starting to reverse course on what is happening in the timeline, which is, I think that was the moment Dan was like, okay, we've got to figure this stuff out. And not only that, but just Hawkman in general is one of the characters that Dan considers to be one of the more problematic in the DC universe. You know, up until that point, you know, Hawkman was an Egyptian god. He was someone from Thanagar. You know, he was, you know, all these different alternative histories. And for Dan, he had this idea that if it takes more than one sentence to explain a character's backstory, it's too problematic. And so that was one of the characters he wanted to try and tackle in this event as well, to try and fix that up and streamline it a little bit. And I don't really read Hawkman, so I can't say whether or not that worked, but. <laughs> I mean, the most recent run that Robert Venditti did, I enjoyed. It was, it was him going through and exploring the consequences of his past lives. Mm-hmm. Like they're all different versions of him like past versions like a kryptonian version for example hmm. and if you remember uh when they have right before we were recording an episode news can the news just dropped that hawkman was getting canceled yep and i sent you the image for what the the next arc was going to be or the ending of that particular issue was venditti had a pretty i want to say his run was received pretty well. I think people really liked his ending. Yeah. Um, <laughs> instead of relying on the same thing, he sort of did a twist where Hawkman was, had to do with, had something to do with God of death and Hawk, Hawkman sacrificed himself like all, all his lives. And it ended with, it ends with him and I'm not sure if it's Kendra yeah, I think it was Kendra at the time. Or him just showing up in the back in the 40s with Justice Society. Yeah, Hawkman is one of those characters that I've wanted to like, but every time I get into it, I'm just so confused by who the character is and what his backstory is. And so maybe I'll pick up Venditti's run once it all pops up on DC Universe Infinite just to give it a try because... That's one of those characters I just bounce off of so hard every time I try and get into him. Yeah, the the main reason I like Hawkman is Michael Shanks, who played Dan Jackson on Stargate SG-1, played him on Smallville. Oh, mm-hmm. And I always actually thought that Michael Shanks actually f- kind of fit the role of Carter Hall. Like, is probably best known for playing a character who is a archaeologist and what is the mod the uh, classic carter hall origin he is a egyptian who is reborn and is a archaeologist but never never mind that <laughs> so yeah i mean with, with hawkman like jurgens when he was he you know he got upset about the whole idea that he basically was told that the story never existed 
And so in his own words, I think this was in one of the Wizard magazines when he was talking about Zero Hour. He says, and I quote, if you're reading a character we restarted a year and a half ago and you're already being told a story that didn't happen, you're getting the shaft. That's irresponsible of the publisher. And I mean, I think he feels I think he feels very close to how fans are treated with continuity in, in general. Like, you know. He talked a little bit about it during the interview, but he's like, there comes a point where like some of it can be a little loosey goosey, but you can't just flat out like disregard it completely, especially so soon after something happens like this. And so he felt, you know, at that time that fans were starting to lose a sense of continuity with these characters in general. And so when he brought the idea up to DC, they thought it was a good idea. Um, they teamed him up with editor Casey Carlson, who was someone else who noticed some of the problems going on. And they went to work on finding a solution to this whole problem. And that is how Zero Hour, A Crisis in Time, began. And so the way they kind of decided to work it up is by saying that Crisis on Infinite Earths technically never really ended. Once the Crisis on Infinite Earths series finished, the timeline was still screwed up. There were hiccups that would lead to such things as all these multiple Hawkmen showing up in DC. I think he also used this to explain some of the problems I guess Legion of Superheroes were having which again is another series I never really got into. And so for them, the way they decided to use the story is to have a character who noticed these hiccups in the timeline and was going to use those hiccups to control it and tear the whole timeline apart again. And this person who in this case was extant has an edge that the heroes don't. And that is he remembers the crisis in full Whereas all the other characters only remember little bits and pieces of it, such as, you know, Barry Allen dying or the fight with the anti-monitor. But typically the heroes at that time don't remember the full crisis. And then on top of all that, Jurgens wanted Zero Hour to feel more personal with the heroes. For example, in one of the tie-ins, there are two Barbara Gordons around and one of them was never shot by the Joker and paralyzed. Another was a Krypton that never exploded, and so Jor-El and Lara visit the Kent farm with the intent to take Superman back to Krypton. And he kind of put Superman in a dilemma. What will he do? Will he go back home? Will he stay with Mom Pa Kent? Who knows? So he wanted all these heroes to be put in a tough decision that didn't always involve using their fists, but their personal emotions to decide outcomes. And because event books are a great way to introduce new stories as well, the team would use Zero Hour as a point to introduce new stories that had been previously pitched with DC that they didn't really have a good way to introduce them. But DC still wanted to get those out there. And so Zero Hour was the good moment to get those out there, whether it was a primal force um, I think maybe Anima was around that time too. Just different characters that they needed to get a start. And this was going to be how they decided to do it. 
And so Jurgens would see what all these pitches were that were just kind of sitting out there. And he would start fitting some of those into a zero hour mini series the best he could so that they could ease out into their own single issue books as well. And then the idea for Parallax uh, was something quite simple. Dan Jurgens was originally the one who came up with the idea to destroy Coast City. No, originally he wanted to use Central City during the reign of the Superman arc to be the catalyst for the end run there with Mongol and Cyborg Superman and everything that happened with Coast City was supposed to happen with Central City. But the Flash team denied it. And so since the Green Lantern books were struggling at that time, both Mike Carlin, who was the Superman editor, and Kevin Dooley, who was the Green Lantern editor, decided that Coast City would be a good way to kind of jumpstart the books again and change them in a way that they could kind of experiment with something new. And since Dan knew that they were planning on changing Hal into a villain of sorts, he decided to use him in Zero Hour as well. Then when it came to Extant and Hank Hall, Jurgens thought Hank was an easy way to link that character to past events in DC Comics, um, specifically Armageddon 2001. And so in Showcase 94 issues 8 and 9, he decided to fix him up a bit, especially seeing as the whole Hank Hall is Monarch reveal was kind of a dumb decision that even Jurgens wasn't happy with. And so he came up with the solution that was supposed to mimic what the original idea was for what Monarch was supposed to be. And then, you know, we start seeing other characters like the Ray and Anima impulse damage and all them who were starting to come to the forefront around this time. And this was a push by DC comics to start having a more youthful element to their heroes again, since as we mentioned, certain other characters were starting to age. And so Jurgens and the team tried to highlight some of these characters as well, especially damage uh, to make more of their parts in the story impactful. Do you have something else to add, Alan? I think I technically do have something to add, but I'm not sure if it's one thing. One of the other things that's synonymous with at least extant slash monarch as a character. There's always that the rumor that it was supposed to be Captain Adam, mm-hmm. and that DC figured out or DC was figured out. And they, they changed it last minute. Yep. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that they decided to make that change. <laughs> like, if you have something planned for so long, I don't know why you would risk everything just to, I guess, surprise the fans. <laughs> don't ruin the story for a surprise. Just The story kind of starts with Showcase 94, number 8 and 9, and it kind of tells extant side along with wave rider and so these two issues each have a story by dan jurgens with art by frank fosco and it begins with wave rider and hunter of the linear men discussing the events of armageddon and the threat of monarch or hank hall or hawk from hawk and dove i'm thinking at some point we should talk about armageddon 2001 on the podcast but i think i'm going to keep that a little further out (laughs) just because i I was not a huge fan of Armageddon. So as Wave Ryan Hunter kind of go over all this, they are finally able to locate Monarch, who has been waiting for his sensors to trigger that they are watching him. 
And so he finishes kind of whatever he's doing as he feels them kind of rushing to his timeline. And as they arrive, they like stop time around them, basically. But Monarch surprises them from behind and captures them in some sort of like energy field. He then decides to start shunting them all around the time stream. And he basically mentions that his goal is to rebuild time from the ground up. But currently he is unable to fully control time travel. Now Hunter realizes this as they bounce around from era to era. And Monarch is trying to convince the linear men to give him their ability to travel time easy. Because who knows where they may end up otherwise if they don't do that. However, as they travel into the future, they land in the middle of this big war that's going on. And in doing so, Monarch is inadvertently blasted, which causes his tech to kind of short out for a moment, which gives Hunter and Wave Rider a chance to escape. But Monarch recaptures Hunter and Wave Rider is still free. And so Monarch threatens to kill Hunter unless he returns. But Wave Rider grabs Monarch and hopes to overload his tech with his own chronal energy. And instead, it gives Monarch all the information he needs. He thought he was only Hawk, but apparently in his body after he killed Dove, her powers and knowledge fused into him as well. And so now he can finally tap into that side as well. And so now he has the combination of powers from the Lords of Chaos and Order. And so his full power finally comes out and that is ultimately what changes him into extant and so with wave rider weakened from this energy discharge extant easily steals wave rider's time band allowing him to traverse time though wave rider never needed it so i'm not sure why he actually had it on um, and then he hops into the time stream and now with extant on the loose and his plans to change time the entire time stream is now threatened with a new crisis which is where we go into zero hour and normally with events, what you do is you start from number one and you go up. I actually really like the idea of them counting down. And so for the first issue, we start with zero hour number four. And this is where we are at the end of time. We see the time trapper is on the run from someone we see him suddenly blasted multiple times as the attacker mentions something about you all had your chance. All of you did. It's my turn now. He then remarks about the entropy at the end of time and how it crushes everything, including the time trapper, as he dissolves away. And then soon he'll use that entropy to his advantage. Something I noticed in Zero Hour is that it seems to hop around a lot. And so it kind of starts out almost immediately like that. Uh, we see Metron visiting Darkseid. Metron realizes something is messing with time, specifically that it seems to be coming apart at the seams. Darkseid doesn't believe him, and Metron decides to leave and find allies who will actually pay attention to him. Uh, we see Gotham, and Joker is on the run as we see a bat shadow following behind. And as he gets pulled to the ground, we realize it's not Batman. It's Batgirl, specifically Barbara Gordon Batgirl. And this can be right because at this point she had been shot in the killing joke. And we all know that she had, had become Oracle. And this is brought to the reader's attention when Batman and Robin show up. And they specifically ask her like, you're 
walking. You're up, you know, you're up and around. You're not in a wheelchair. And Batgirl claims that she was never shot, much less paralyzed. Joker uses this moment to get away. And so Batman and Robin discuss with Batgirl that she shouldn't be here. Something weird is going on. And all the while, we see a younger version of Robin, who, if you read the zero hour tie in of the Robin series, you find out this is younger Dick Grayson is watching overhead. Yeah, because I actually thought that was Jason Todd. Yeah, it kind of comes off that way a little bit. It's kind of like ominous in a way. And especially having that tie like right there with the Joker and everything, it's kind of <laughs> it, it would fit better to have. If... Like, but then again, I haven't read. I didn't read the the tie-in, so yeah. For, for this, I did try and read some of the tie-ins, and most of them didn't really have a big impact on the event in general. So I wasn't going to talk about most of them here. Um, I did read Robin, and for the most part, it's just Dick Grayson meeting up with Tim Drake. After Tim almost, anyways, yeah, they end up running into each other and they go out and solve a case together. And it's basically Tim feeling like even at a younger age, Dick is a better Robin than he is, making everything look easy with his acrobatics and whatnot. And so it's kind of this nice little issue of kind of comparing the two as Robin. I, I like all the Robins in some way, shape or form, but. And then from there, we visit Vanishing Point, the home of the Linear Men, and Matthew Ryder is watching the 71st century. Suddenly, the chronoscopes go blank, indicating every year from there and after have been destroyed. He tells Wave Rider and Hunter to go check it out, as he fears whatever is destroying the time stream is working its way backward to the beginning of... We flash, quite literally, to the 64th century on New Earth. The Flash is in a fight with Kadabra, which... He was pulled out from the past. This happens in this happens at the very end of Flash number 94. Thinking that the entropy heading towards Earth is Kadabra's doing. But Wave Rider and Hunter show up to inform him that that's not the case. And Wave Rider is unable to close the rift. But Kadabra has an idea with his knowledge on time travel on how to stop this. And he thinks that Flash could run away from the entropy vortex and then double back around and run towards it. If he hits the right speed, the shockwave should cause the rift to collapse. Flash gives it a try, but fails. And as he's running back into the entropy wave, his body starts to dissipate in the entropy. And in fact, the whole universe at that point is taken by the entropy and destroyed. But Wave Rider Hunter escape with Flash's costume. But... This is this is one of those things that I kind of just had to ignore because, <laughs> you know, as Wave Rider is trying to stop the Flash before he fully dissipates, his hand goes through goes through him entirely, like he's not able to grab onto anything, and then suddenly he's able to grab onto the costume. Just a little bit of a little bit of something I don't quite understand how he was able to grasp something after he wasn't able to, but you know, just one of those things you have to kind of kind of work with if I remember I think that was one of those cases where he was asked to you know quote unquote kill the flash you know because of the a flash has to die in every crisis yeah because with everything that happened with Bart yeah I'm trying to remember exactly I mean, when Bart showed up too he I mean he was killed in like in the lead up 
to Final Crisis. Yeah. And if anything, Final Crisis brought back Barry. And then you get the impression that the same thing in this happens later on in Infinite Crisis. But turns out to be, oh no, it's actual, it's there, it's a, it's a double switch. Yeah. Yeah. Flash is always treated poorly in some manner when it comes to a crisis. And so after this, they show Metropolis and Batman is visiting to discuss with Superman what he's witnessed. And this is on the tail end of, I think it was Man of Steel 3. Um, Suddenly Metron shows up to break the news. They don't actually show him breaking the news because it cuts back to Wave Rider and Hunter. And they are visiting 5100 AD now. And we see Hal Jordan Green Lantern attempting to stop the entropy wave there. The citizens there pulled him from time where he was pure versus the time he wasn't. As Hal fails to stop the wave, Hunter realizes how similar this is to another case in history. As both Hunter and Hal get overtaken by the entropy, Hunter tells Wave Rider to check the chronoscopes for a crisis. Wave Rider slips back into the time stream as the timeline dissipates at that point too. And as he surfs through it, he notices an anomaly in the time stream. Uh, Quickly, we see a quick little point with Hawkman taking out Vandal Savage. Um, However, as he does it, he starts to split apart. And now Vandal Savage is surrounded by six different looking Hawkmen. Uh, yeah, the, the this is, that was actually one of my favorite parts from the. <laughs> Not because it, it's uh, I just like I love I like Hawkman as a character. The way it's played, where he is just it's basically just surround sound times six. <laughs> yeah, and Vandal's like the only one who actually notices it. Dr. Mist can feel something going on in the timeline. He can feel it as an immortal, but he's also seeing blips of other Dr. Mists popping into his reality. And he decides the layman must be summoned. Um, I think he's a character from primal force, but I don't know if he's existed before that or not. So I don't know. Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern is still reeling from the death of his girlfriend, Alex, when Metron and Superman show up. Uh, The plan is for GL to project Superman to the rest of the Earth heroes for help. And he does that. And Superman explains the situation to all the heroes. And this announcement is kind of played throughout the mainline books as well. But after that announcement, Metron heads out to speak with the Spectre and doesn't get the help that he was seeking out. Um, (laughs) The Spectre says that he doesn't help with quote unquote natural disasters and basically tells Metron to hit the bricks. And so the end of zero hour number four ends at vanishing point. Wave rider heads over to the chronoscope and asks it to access this crisis event that Hunter had told him about. And it pops it all up and wave rider is informed of the events of crisis on infinite earth, something he was not aware of previously. And so you just see this horror on his face as he realizes that there used to be whole other universes and they all died. And only the linear men were aware of the crisis and the severity of it. And now apparently they are not the only ones. And then this leads to zero. And this issue starts with the justice society joining Hawkman after his capture of Vandal Savage. (laughs) Heavy sigh. 
I know, I know where this is going. <laughs> so yeah, Savage is muttering about these multiple Hawkmen that disappeared. And Alan Scott is questioned about his new costume and younger appearance. And suddenly Vandal disappears in a flashing pain of agony. Wave Rider shows up concerned how nobody told him about this crisis as he continues to hold the costume of the Flash that died. He tells the Justice Society that time isn't just apparently I'm dying this. from the and back dying. That's the word I was trying to type. I mistyped it there. That time isn't just dying from the end backwards, but it's also going forward in time too, from the beginning of time. And so to explain Vandal Savage, Wave Rider says that when the century that he was originally born in dissolved away, he died too in this era. Of course, then you have to ask, how does humanity in general still exist if all of our ancestors are being wiped out in the past? But it's time travel, and I'm just going to ignore that. Because <laughs> like most time travel stories are something you just kind of have to just take a deep breath and just kind of roll with it. Uh, I don't mean to, I don't mean to de- derail the podcast again, but I saw in in parentheses how just how how happy you were to see the, t- the time travel effects. And Dan Jurgen when during the interview with uh, Dan Jurgens, oh, um, I loved his explanation of why he wanted he wanted to do that. He does that with every <laughs> time travel story he he gets to do. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not joking. Like anytime I see a time travel story with him doing it, I have to see those rainbow streaks. I love the look of those so much. It's adding extra oomph, extra pizzazz to the story. It does. I think they are so cool looking. I mean, Wave Rider in general, I think, does it pretty much any time he shows up. I mean, Wave Rider is just another character. I just like his design. So from there, Wave Rider touches Jay Garrick, um, which flashes the fate of the Flash that died in the 64th century. Um, we then see Vanishing Point. Um, Extant has arrived and taken out the Linear Men. And then <laughs> flashes back to the Justice Society, uh, who are discussing how to proceed. Dr. Fate feels that the answer lies outside of the time stream vanishing point, And so he transports all the heroes except for two. And he decides that he's going to take Hawkman. And I don't know if it's Hawkgirl or Hawkwoman at this point um, to where he needs them to be. Next, we see Superman and Metron as they fly towards the meeting place for all the heroes. And they run into Impulse on the way. And Impulse is trying to escape from some raptors who have bled into this era before tricking them by phasing through a wall, causing them just to... And so he joins the party since he is on the search for his cousin, the Flash. Quick blip to outside the time stream again. Uh, We see a white door and the time trapper pops through with Rock from the Legion of Superheroes. Um, Trapper reveals himself to be the older version of Rock and they end up um, I feel like that's the time trappers thing. It's like whenever they decide to reveal him, it's whoever the character is they're talking to at that point. Next, we are in New York City. All of the heroes start showing up, including a very pregnant Power Girl. Uh, big double page splash of a number of heroes showing up to go over their plans, and they decide Superman will be their leader. Flashback to Vanishing Point. Uh, JSA have arrived, but they are immediately blasted by Extant. Uh, we then cut over to Wave Rider and the Hawk team. 
just going to call him that since I don't know if it's a girl or a woman. Again, one of those reasons I don't like the Hawk books typically. So I get so confused <laughs> about who's who. Uh, right. If it helps right now, it's actually, no, it doesn't help at all because the Omniverse has literally <laughs> anything and everything is as canon. And thus the problem. <laughs> in the Hawkman issue, like in Rubber Venditti's Hawkman uh, series, it reverted back to the 1940s version, like that finale I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So I imagine it was Hawkman and Hawkgirl. If I'm mm-hmm. wrong, listeners, just tell me. As they ride through the time stream, uh, they see other iterations of the two flying through <laughs> the time stream as well um, as different anomalies due to the original crisis. And so all of these different Hawk people that are flying through the time stream, they're just one of the chronal disruptions in it. Uh, but they're all converging from one entity that started it all. And we see a fight between this giant Hawk creature fighting another Hawkman character who I believe was the Hawkman in the main books at that time or something. I, I don't know. I tried going back and reading the zero hour tie in here and I was completely confused. Uh, so as Hawkman, Hawk girl jump in to assist this Hawkman out, a chronal blast occurs, fusing all four characters together. Metron shows up and announces that it's not a death, but a birth, the birth of a new Hawkman character. And we see this new Hawkman kind of looming, kind of shadowed out so you don't get a clear look at him um, to be revealed a little later. And poor hot girl. I <laughs> I don't know what this means for her. Is she now fused in with Hawkman now? I don't, don't really know <laughs> how that worked out. But the HQ of Legion now, Vril Docs knows that the universe is contracting and sends out a probe into the time stream to investigate. We then cut over to New Genesis, where Highfather can only find death and entropy in the cosmos. He is afraid because he feels the end is coming for everything that is and ever has existed. Back to the heroes, including some of the anomalies such as Alpha Centurion and Barbara Gordon Batgirl. They notice some stuff happening, such as Maxima's outfit changing on the fly. And then this new Hawkman shows up with Metron and Waverider. Wave Rider details the problem at hand that entropy is eating through time. The original crisis is to blame. He basically goes on to explain that it never fully settled and all of the shock waves have been sent out from that event, creating a number of these anomalies to exist, such as the different Hawkmen that were existing. And so as they all come to terms with heroes failing, such as Hal and Wally, uh, Aquaman wonders if someone is behind it all. And Wave Rider gets a realization that it could be possible someone is masterminding everything. And so we cut back to Vanishing Point as the JSA take the fight to extant. <sighs> Alan, I think this is the part that probably hurts you a little bit. <laughs> well, a certain a little bit uh, shortly. Is the next I'm issue? Have... Well, no, uh, shortly I'm going to have a mention that JSA thing. Okay. So yeah, JSA take the fight to extant. Adam is the first to go down as a chronal blast kills him. Another blast tears through fate, causing his helmet to come off and the owners to split. 
Wildcat and Sandman attack from behind, but Extant quickly eliminates the rejuvenation spells that kept them young. And now they're old with Wildcat having a heart attack in the heat of the moment. It's here that Wave Rider realizes that someone is at vanishing point and he disappears to help out the JSA. And Extant forces the remaining JSA members to age as well, except for Alan Scott, who's protected from his ring, uh, protected by his ring. Um, even at their age, Araman and Dr. Midnight try to help <laughs> and leap in to fight Extant, but um, Extant forces them to keep aging, and Araman ultimately passes away as well. Back okay. In New York. Oh, sorry. Am I allowed to bring up something that happened? Like six years later, sure. Or no, ten years later, actually. Uh, in Jeff Johns' uh, JSA run, there was a storyline called "Out of Time" that features uh, Extant and mainly Rex Tyler. It's uh, out of time, and at that point, there were it was Rex Tyler. Rick Tyler, his son, and then the android, our man. And they sort, Jeff Sean sort of, as you said, he doesn't let the things from the 90s die. <laughs> no. As they do a little, cha- little what timey wimey stuff and change things as the our man that dies in Zero Hour is ultimately the android version of our man so yeah the more you know about (laughs) comics will make you an even bigger nerd on the internet (laughs) that's a story outline i need to go back and read i haven't read that one in probably well it's all on on dc universe infinite yeah i really liked jeff johns which that's not even the last time he kind of touched on that part of the story, like uh, back when him and Jurgens were doing the Booster Gold series right after uh, 52 ended, they had yeah. that one issue, Booster Gold number zero, where they're going back in time and they run across Parallax and Accident really quick. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and they're like, nope, 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 we don't need to be here. And they just kind of keep going. <laughs> yeah, I remember how that was the issue the issue with uh during the 52 pickup arc uh matt mobley like how it was one of his favorite he wasn't big into comics but he really liked that the way that story was told <laughs> like him, him failing repeatedly to save uh barbara gordon from joker then it had to be a casualty of flashpoint yeah man but Booster Gold got to be on Smallville, <laughs> and then there, then there was, there was so much hope for, for Booster Gold. There was, there was going to be a TV show at at um, Sci Fi Channel. There was going to be at one point a movie with him and uh, Blue Beetle, and then once Andrew Kreisberg uh, got me tooed, it all went away. But if that was the co- if, if if that was the cost, I'm fine with it. He is still the greatest hero. No one knows, <laughs> or however that tagline went. Yeah, and uh, like just I just love the whole uh, 
people always getting like I thought you were Green Lantern. <laughs> so the issue kind of starts ending um, back in New York. We start seeing a city materializing in the sky from the future. Timelines are starting to merge at this point. And then Alan Scott attacks Extant, but Extant forces the rain to lose its charge and Wave Rider protects the rest of the JSA in a stasis field. Wave Rider decides to face Extant before taking them all to safety, but Extant has a secret. He lifts off his mask and Wave Rider now stares into his own face, which takes us to zero hour number two. And so Extant is monologuing at this point. Um, he has the power to make the universe disappear, and it's Wave Rider's fault. He's able to manifest the power that existed with Hawk and Dove, and now Wave Rider, to combine them all to do what he needs to do. And so as Wave Rider attacks, Extant instead casts them all back to where they came from as he proceeds to prepare for future battles. And so he heads back into Vanishing Point to rally his defenses. Back in New York, the heroes decide to tackle the problem of this future city lowering onto this onto the city. Um, and so as they all rush towards it, Metron uses his chair to summon a boom tube. And with the energy of heroes like Superman, the Ray, Emerald Dragon, and Captain Adam, uh, they're able to strengthen the boom tube and pull the city back to its right time. And so as they all head back, Wave Rider and JSA have now arrived. Martian Manhunter and Amazing Man carry some of them to the hospital while Jay Garrick tears off the lightning bolt off his shirt, which I didn't realize that's how that worked. And Alan Scott gives Kyle Rayner his ring and they're calling it quits. They're essentially retiring at this point for now, at least. And so the hero society tackle the problem at each end of the time stream. Metron will lead the outsiders Legion of Superheroes, Superman, Captain Adam, Metamorpho, and Wonder Woman to travel to the 30th century where that's being destroyed. Suddenly, they are attacked by Extant's forces, which are other characters from alternate timelines, including like Red Wing, Kilowatt, and some other Team Titan members that Mirage knows. And soon, Terra and Mirage seem to be getting under the command of Extant as well based on the communicators that they are wearing. Next, we see Dr. Mist being surrounded by the layman, and he disappears just like Vandal Savage did. Uh, we then cut to New York City Hospital, with Wildcat and Sandman having been saved, but Dr. Midnight did not make it. Um, Jay is frustrated that they didn't do enough, specifically by requesting help from the one friend who used to be a part of the JSA, and he is going to go find him, and that's the Spectre. Power Girl starts going into labor, and apparently the baby has powers too because a force field is put around her, and they think that it's because the baby knows she's in danger. Now we go into the distant past, where characters like the Ray, Superboy, Green Lantern, Anima, Donna Troy, Impulse, and Nightwing join Wave Rider. As they try to come up with a plan, more of Extant reinforcements show up, featuring other Titan members. However, Extant shows up and fires a blast at Donna Troy, but Kyle Rayner jumps in the way. Wave Rider tries to fight Extant, but Extant blasts him. He takes off his mask again, and he's Hank Hall. Because he isn't that Extant yet. Time travel. 
The future extant sits at vanishing point, watching it all and remembering how this all went down. Wave Rider sends the other heroes back to their own time, but the old extant puts his hand into Wave Rider and drains his very being. His face transforms into Wave Rider as that timeline ceases to exist. However, just before it winks out, we see Alan's ring dropped by Green Lantern on the ground. A shadowed hand picks it up as a trophy. And then back at the end of time, the heroes have vanquished the fighters and captured Mirage and Terra, who have felt compelled to attack everybody. Metron has figured out how to stop the fissure. They toss his Mobius chair into the entropy, and then Captain Adam fires his energy into the chair. This causes a boom tube to open, and the weight of the universe and time stream pull into a singularity and heals from there, we see Rock and Time Trapper show up and send the heroes all back to their own time. Skip again to the current era. Um, all the other heroes are fighting Extant's forces. We see Guy Gardner's armor start shifting into a gun at his request, just as the villains start disappearing and the heroes from the past and the future return. Guy mentions that the time stream seems malleable, so it's possible to bring the core back. And then we flash back to Vanishing Point. Both extants fuse into each other as he wonders how and why his entropy rift was closed in the 30th century. We then see a green glow in the 30th century again. Blah, blah, blah. Then we see a green glow in the 30th century again, and the character opens the rift once more. He then tosses Alan's ring to the ground and smashes it beneath his foot as the universe in that time disappears. And that is the end of Zero Hour number two and that will be where we cut off today's episode because we still have three more issues to talk about at length along with a few mentions of the tie-ins and our typical random trivia section um so this is a good stopping point for us alan do you have any comments regarding the first three issues of zero hour yeah um so back when the Arrowverse was going through, was doing their crisis event, or or when when that got announced, up a comic book podcast I was on at the time, we were reading Crisis on Infinite Earths, and basically the idea that a crisis is magnitude, it's pretty hard for it'd be pretty hard for something like that to just be over an instant, and the idea that well aftershocks would still be emanating in the timeline because of it is actually a really good idea. I agree. I think it's like a, like a really cool idea to have the outcome of probably one of the biggest events in comics to still kind of ripple out. You know, it's like when you drop a stone like that, drop a stone in a thing of water, like where it lands will eventually calm out, but you'll still see the ripples coming out from it long after it's sunk to the bottom. And so I kind of, I think zero hour is just one of those ripples. Like it makes sense that it was a problem and for them to try and correct yeah, and some also, of the things that stem from it is perfect. There's also a moment or, or a scene, like a scene where that, that you didn't, you didn't mention, but I remember it just because it's one of probably, probably my favorite things to come out of zero hour. And that is the, or it's something that's spun off from zero hour and that's Starman. Oh, mm-hmm. Like, I always confuse which one is that. Uh, Ten Knight. Ten Knight is one of the is among the JSA members to get 
aged up and not Jack, his other son, who basically he just says, I'm retiring. I want you to take up the mantle. And then we get to see one of the best series from throughout the 90s, like from the 90s, just t- take flight. And you just got to love it. I mean, I got I to gotta love it. What I yeah, don't I love, don't... however, is how Starman has still not been reprinted. Like it's it's out of stock to the point where I think you, you may have seen it, but I posted a um, a link to the on eBay the outrageous mm-hmm. prices people were asking for. Not even not even just the whole set, but just one omnibus. It's 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 the the true burden of liking comic books. <laughs> it's to deal with the the monsters out there. Yeah, I will never uh, be taken advantage of. I mean, I, those same monsters I dealt with to collect the eight issues of Static Shock from New Fifty Two, mm. and even then they 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 they, they, they lied. <laughs> But I, I, I digress. So yeah, we will cut off there for zero hour. Um, and then for episode two, we'll go over zero hour number one, zero hour number zero, and then kind of the epilogue in Green Lantern number zero. Um, and then we will also talk about some of the tie-ins that actually had some sort of impact or some direct relation to the events in Zero Hour. But obviously, because it crossed over with all the monthly books, there's a lot. And so I did not, <laughs> I'm not going to touch on all of them, but there are some ones that I do want to mention. So yeah, we will. And so please, if you like what you hear, Spread the word of the podcast, rate and review, share with your friends, all that good stuff. Get the word out there, and we greatly appreciate it. Don't forget to follow Hypertimed Podcast on Twitter at HypertimePod. If you have questions or topic suggestions, let us know, and I will get to work on researching that. If you like video games, that is mostly what VGU.TV does, which is what Hypertime is affiliated with. So check us out both on our website, VGU.TV, but also follow us on our Twitter at VGU underscore TV. Uh, we have video game podcasts as well, such as Players Club Podcast and Win, which is the weekend news. We have a YouTube channel at VGU.TV. It's not VGU.TV. It's what, just VGU TV? I get confused because yeah. I think I still have our old one on subscribe to as well so i always see two when i go through it oh i i technically see three because oh I do have, you there's, there's the original <laughs> there's our current one and back when we were trying to make all the branding work yeah. uh, emmett took the old the, the account for the one we're not allowed to speak of and technically that that exists as te- only on te- technic- technicality Exists as VGU TV. <laughs> yeah, that's the other one I have. I just need to unsubscribe from it at this point. So, yeah, 
Follow me on Twitter at J-M-I-L-L-E-9-9. Alan, where all can they follow you at? I am actually taking a break from Twitter. For about a week ago, uh, some some bad stuff happened to someone, to a content creator who did, did not deserve any of it. Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, uh, Emmett and I talked about it on the podcast. And honestly, this may, this may be the best thing I've ever done because I've felt a lot better. Like, I don't feel the need to check it, even though I'm, I was I'm kind of missing out on game deals. Oh, mm-hmm. well, I'm telling you, just go check out like Cheap Ass Gamer or Slick Deals. Since yeah. that's basically where a lot of that stuff comes from anyways. If I ever do return, they can follow me at the Alamir. That's A-L-A-N-M-U-I-R. Yeah, I don't blame you for taking a break at all. It's so easy just to kind of... It's like it's an addiction. You like get addicted to having to keep up to date with everything and everybody. And so much of social media in particular is just... Yeah, it, feel, it feels like some bad meta game. Like, oh, I gotta keep scrolling. I, I, why? I don't know. I guess I gotta keep scrolling. I gotta see what happens with this person in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Yeah, I, I've tried harder to get. You know, I recently put out a request for like kind of funny best friends and all that, because I, for the most part, I feel that community is pretty, pretty kind with one another. It's not perfect, yeah. but. <laughs> I'm trying to surround myself with better people online <laughs> than what I was. But of course there are cases like there was one earlier in the week with uh, two people I followed and I'm like, well, mm, I guess I'm going to cut this one out who has a bit more people speaking up about them than <laughs> the other one does. And it's just, uh, you know, why can't people just be decent? Honestly, um, if there's a group of uh, kind of funny best friends, the six uh, one indie folks. Yep, they are great people. Yeah, I think I pretty sure I'm subscribed to their podcast. I think I recently started that up. I think I'm, I think I'm following them all on Twitter. You know, Kyle Stevenson does the Trophy Room, and I follow Joe as well. But yeah, I mean, they're just typically a lot of good people they always try to kind of support one another and that's the community i like to i I think is pretty good like i said it's not perfect there's definitely things that come up and around every once in a while that you kind of look at and you're like come on people like yeah we we should be better better than this yes (laughs) but yes with that follow us we we're good people we try and be good but we like making friends too So as long as you're not a disgusting human being, I'm perfectly fine with being a friend with you. And with that, uh, we will bid you all adieu. We will see you further down the hyper time. Take care. Bye. This has been a VGU.TV production. 
for all of the hottest hot takes and other opinions on video games, music, and a lot more, tune in to VGU.TV.